This is a News Laundry podcast and you're listening to NL Playoffs. Hello and welcome to NL Playoffs. This is round 6. Uh, my name is Gautam. I have with me my co-host Aniket. Aniket, say namaste. Hello world. We have a special episode uh, for all of our listeners uh, today or tonight or wherever you're listening to it or whichever time you're listening to. When I say special, it's actually going to be special because we are only going to We usually cover two or three topics and go in depth but you're literally going to cover one topic and go in depth because something historic happened in the world of formula 1 last sunday at the russian grand prix uh lewis hamilton aniket became the first driver in the history of formula 1 to win 100 races 100 grand prix races uh quite an achievement absolutely and also to add sir lewis hamilton to rightly say his name because he's also been knighted uh just to give the viewers a little background of what's happening in this world of motorsport racing in formula 1 especially is that he's right now equaling michael schumacher with seven world championships titles and currently in pursuit of his eighth and in this pursuit at the russian grand prix which is the sochi autodrome he's actually won his 100th race which is the highest ever for a driver who's driving on the paddocks so far so a bit of uh, context to this podcast itself aniket uh, full disclosure we recorded a chunk of this podcast or whatever it's going to follow uh, in a few minutes now we recorded this in the month i think in mid april if i'm not wrong because we thought of doing a career retrospective we also want to cover a few episodes that go back in time and cover some iconic sports moments as well as some iconic sports personalities and we thought uh, uh, lewis hamilton would be the right choice would be a perfect fit for our podcast to kind of do an in-depth uh, career retrospective uh, so we recorded this just before the start of the current season which is the 2021 22 season uh, so we recorded this about 4 months ago and we thought you know it's uh, it's uh, hamilton's 100 wins is around the corner uh, so we kind of thought to go back in time and cover how what he what his roots were how he started how he developed what his style is how he became what he is now an undisputed champion of the game absolutely gautam and this is uh, in all uh, ways you can describe it a landmark achievement for any driver who's uh, currently driving so with that being said let's delve into uh, what the initial introduction and let's give the listeners an insight into where things stand yeah quite a quite a drama filled uh, russian grand prix there was a lot of things playing into uh the race because uh drivers were falling back and forth right at the very end because there was change in weather conditions there was rain at the very end uh people uh drivers were exchanging positions the guy in front who was leading the race had to slip all the way back to number 8 or number 9 he finished p9 i think landon norris uh so tell us what happened so this is my kind of race where absolutely everything goes for a toss predictions are non existent in a format like this race what we saw on the 26th of september at the sochi autodrome so just to give the listeners an uh, insight so it was the uh, russian grand prix happening and the title contention right now is pretty fierce between sir lewis hamilton and max verstappen and lewis hamilton looking for his eighth title as you already mentioned and max verstappen in hot pursuit with uh, looking searching for his debut debutant title so it's his first 
world championship and they are at two points difference from each other so this was the context into which they uh, both these teams mercedes uh, amg petronas and red bull racing actually went into in russia with that being said when i initially saw what was happening especially in the qualifiers cuz lando norris uh, was qualified p1 which was surprising and shocking with uh, also uh, russell george russell from williams at p3 and hamilton at p4 so this qualification itself was a little shocking the way uh, drivers had lined up uh, in the initial uh, for the initial grid yes you are right in that uh, there was a surprise uh, 1 2 3 uh, finish at the qualifying uh, you know but the race itself was kind of going okay because max verstappen uh, had a penalty he was starting from p20 he was trying to get all the way front but all of it came to a head with about 5 laps to go when the cloud started uh, rolling over the circuit and uh, you know there was rain expected uh, it it is kind of crazy because uh, the teams had to make a decision with the driver to figure out if they had to make a quick pit stop to change their tires from slick to wet tires so i mean slick tires are the ones where the drivers drive on a dry track is that correct aniket absolutely yeah the, uh, they had to make a decision as to uh, whether they had to change from dry tires technically to wet tires so that it, the the expectation of rain was there so when the rain falls down onto the track and the track becomes wet they could use those wet tires for more grip and you know they could actually stay in the race exactly and uh, the race was very well under lando norris's control up to i think the 49th lap and what was extremely tricky was this call for going onto the wet tires also called as inters so they are the intermediate tires and uh, the tricky aspect was there were some parts of this track that were actually dry and some parts of it that were actually being uh, you know wet so it got really tricky and uh, as we've all seen mercedes called in lewis hamilton so lewis hamilton initially refused to come into the box but then mercedes said like they looked into their weather radar and they were like they absolutely called him in whereas mclaren uh, left the call to the driver who actually at some parts was seeing a dry track and at some parts was seeing wet so he thought he could actually uh, you know just hang on and get this race done but it was an heartbreak story for uh, i think formula 1 watchers not only just lando norris fans but formula 1 watchers in general to see lando norris lose his race after that point but this is where you know uh, the communication between the team and the driver becomes such a key thing right because there is this wonderful youtube i shared it with you this morning there is this wonderful youtube video of the whole radio exchange between both lando norris and the mclaren team and lewis hamilton as mercedes team there is also a full radio uh, recording of uh, Max was tapping with the Red Bull team. You can clearly see the communication, right? The Mercedes team is like, you have to box. Lewis, you have to box, 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 which means a pit stop. Uh, when 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 the McLaren team was like, you know, what do you think, uh, Lando? You know, it might rain, it might not rain. Hamilton is, uh, I think, pitting. What do you want to do? And Nor- Norris just says, no, there's no, I'm going to pit. Lando, what do you think about it, Inter? What do you think about it, in- Inter? So. you know that was eventually the difference right as because as soon as the rain got harder and the track became very slippery he just slid off the track and hamilton and McLe- uh, mercedes team were obviously made the right call and he just breezed through to p1 uh, 100% and uh, just to add to this uh, you know before the qualification this for a, for some reason i thought this would not be hamilton's 100th race because i don't know if you uh, followed this in detail but 
So Hamilton had actually a crazy qualifying and a free practice session where he uh, spun out in his qualifiers. He actually hit the pit wall during an entry in uh, during his qualifiers. And in the free practice, he actually uh, hit the Mercedes Jackman, the guy is holding the car on a jack. So Hamilton could not stop in time, overshot the box. And so he basically had these big three snafus and uh, it just with P4 in qualifiers, it just seemed that, you know, things might not go his way. And he always shows up to surprise you because he's, he's relentless. And I think that's what is brilliant about him. Yeah, that's what happens when uh, also, you know, the experience comes in when uh, the weather stone weather turns sour because he's been there, he's done that, he knows exactly what to do, he trusts his team enough, whereas the inexperience of Landon Norris, I think, clearly showed for sure. Yeah, so I would just add one comment to that. Uh, yes, Landon Norris, inexperienced, but I would put that on the McLaren team because, uh, you know, they are the ones who have these fancy radars that they're looking into with weather predictions, whereas the driver is only seeing what's in front of him. So I think uh, they should have been more uh, affirmative in calling him in and letting him know the situation rather than leave that dubious question mark on radio as to do you want to or not. So yeah, th- that's my limited point. I couldn't agree more. And uh, the the video which we are going to link on the show notes clearly bears that out. Uh, you can see the clear uh, lack of decision making from uh, the McLaren team. And, you know, that was the difference in the end. But having said that, hey, Hamilton... Uh, we were wait. We were all waiting for this. He was on 99 for some time now. They finally made it to 100 uh, Formula One uh, wins. It's kind of amazing. Hamilton is going to get 100. He came into this race as a gladiator. He finds the chequered flag as a centurion. Lewis Hamilton. It's a hundred race victories. He wins the Russian Grand Prix and he retakes the championship lead. So uh, as we said earlier. Uh, up top uh, we've done a uh, uh, career retrospective of Lewis Hamilton and we thought this would be the best uh, opportunity to share what we discussed with you we kind of nerd out a little bit there we talk about some rule changes and about the car and his style but I think it's all par for the course because we really want to go deep and figure out what made Lewis Hamilton the Lewis Hamilton that is of now so do check this out again full disclosure we record this in about uh, in mid-April so uh, feel free to, you know, put that into context. Sure. And this was right after his seventh world championship. So that's another just a point, another point to add to give you guys context of where and when we recorded this. Yeah, we hope we, you enjoy the rest of this discussion. Uh, I will hand this off to our past selves. Uh, but before I do that, I would really like to plug News Laundry again. Please go to newslaundry.com, hit that subscribe button. Please, please pay to keep news free. This is an independent uh, uh, platform where, you know, it's essentially run by uh, folks like you who are subscribers. So please, if you're not a subscriber, please do hit that subscribe button. And I'd also like to say, please write to us for at NL Playoffs using contact at newslaundry.com with NL Playoffs in the subject. So uh, the mail reaches us. And uh, let us know what you think, because we clearly here are not experts and not at all in most of the sports we talk about. So we've already had a subscriber and we'd like to get more of you on here because there are more experts out there who are listening to this. And we'd like to learn from you and also help the community grow using this platform. And let's listen to ourselves in the past, Gautam. Here we go. Today we'll talk about uh, one gentleman, Sir Lewis Carl Davidson Hamilton, also known as Lewis Hamilton, who's recently been knighted. 
by the British government. So, yeah, we're going to delve into his life, talk a little bit about him, talk about some of the insane stuff that he's done in the world of motorsport. So, and we'll go beyond the world of motorsport and just delve into him as a person to try and understand better. So I think that's yeah. the goal with this podcast. And I think we should also uh, make it clear to our listeners that we are not doing this podcast or pick this topic because he was recently knighted, but because he won his, what, 96th uh, Formula One title, eclipsing Michael Schumacher. Is that right? That's right. So he will delve into this more, but he is currently, he's regarded as the greatest, uh, you know, Formula One racer of all times, has the most number of wins, most number of pole positions he have. And he equals Michael Schumacher in the number of world championships he has. So uh, he's a phenomenal guy to talk about. And yeah, and it's just a very interesting story. Uh, at least I found it interesting. And I hope the listeners, this uh, makes the listeners delve a little bit more into his life. Yeah, it is actually quite a fascinating story. I think before we even talk about Lewis Hamilton, I think we should talk about some of our early memories of Formula One and how we started uh, watching Formula One. Um, I'll let you go first, Aniketa, then, then I'll age myself speaking about when I started watching. So, Gautam, uh, you know, we've spoken about this earlier off the record, though, is that I started watching Formula One like three years back, uh, three to four years back, like watching seriously. Uh, so, 2016? Yeah, roughly around that time. And the reason is because, uh, as you know, I'm working towards my PhD. And I work in the area of fluid mechanics and control theory. So, I mean, no, it it's just shows me how ignorant I am because I didn't know about Formula One until I started studying the subject. So it just shows my level of ignorance, actually. It's the other way around. But anyway, so working in this field just fascinated me. And I stumbled upon Formula One, uh, you know, through some of my work. And it's been an awesome ride since then because now I follow it from a technical perspective, just from a sports perspective as well. So I like keeping abreast with what's happening in the motorsport world, especially in Formula One. So that's kind of how I got into it. Yeah, uh, it's interesting that, you know, your PhD um, thesis or dissertation or whatever it's called kind of attracted or I, I guess uh, took you to the world of Formula One almost involuntarily. It's not coming out of any uh, interest in the sport or anything like that. You just happened to kind of stumble upon it, right? Yeah. And I mean, I heard of Formula One before because I heard uh, back in 2008 about this youngster who won, who was the youngest ever Formula One winner, and he turned out to be Lewis Hamilton. But I basically read about him. I knew Michael Schumacher. I knew the greats, but I never followed the sport like in and out like I do now. So, yes, I would say that maybe it was my work that got me to this, but I think it was a happy coincidence, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I started watching Formula One at least 15 years before you started watching Formula One. So, I started watching Formula One, I want to say, in the year 2000 or around the year 2000-2001. When I started watching Formula One, I'll give you the list of drivers I remember. Okay, so there's obvious ones, like there's Michael Schumacher, right? There's That guy was the dominant guy. There's Michael Schumacher, there was Ralph Schumacher, his brother was still around. Uh, Juan Pablo Montoya was still around playing for, uh, driving for Williams. I remember David Coulthard, there was Mika Hakkinen. Mika Hakkinen, by the way, was my guy. He, I loved that guy. He only won one championship, I think, in 99, but I never got to watch him. But he was like a really cool kid from Iceland, I think. Um, so I remember him. Uh, I remember, I think, the early years of Jensen Button. Uh, Rubens Barrichello was Schumacher's teammate. I remember that. 
So, yeah, as I said, I kind of aged myself, but I should probably let the listeners know that we are probably, yeah, Aniket and me are the same age. So before you think I'm some 45-year-old uncle sitting around here, but <laughs> but I I grew up on TV on sports, man. And thanks to Star Sports, I watched so much Formula One. And I think the thing that attracted me towards Formula One is that it's not like a conventional race where everybody starts and figures out who, who finishes first, right? Uh Yes, the fastest car typically wins in Formula One, but I really love the strategy behind it. It's not just go in a full circle and figure out who finishes first. It's about the type of uh, race it is, the type of what kind of track you are in, first of all. There are different kinds of circuits going around. What type of tires you have on a car. It's like wet tires, dry tires, so depending on the weather is a big factor. How many pit stops you take, a number of pit stops you take, and when you take it. Uh, all of these uh, DRS systems now with uh, the advent of technology and whatnot. Uh, I, I found it to be not one of those cookie cutter motorsport races where everybody starts and goes round and round in a circle and then uh, figures out who the winner is. Because I've actually been to, uh, Aniket, I've actually been to Indy 500 here. I, we live in the States, so I've been to an Indy 500 race. It was really cool for the first half hour because you just have cars whizzing past you with such speeds but at the end of the day after 15 laps they i think they have 100 laps or something i don't remember but it's just everybody going in a circle 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 and that was that was pretty much it and we were just sitting in the super hot weather under the sun so i think formula one is uh that's why the strategy involved in formula one is what attracted me to form uh to watching the sport that's actually very interesting you say it because i find the f- strategy the technology fascinating it just fascinates me and i'm embarrassed to say this but i was so ignorant that i used to wonder like why are people making a big deal about this like people are like driving in circles and then they're like you know there's someone who's winning i'm like what's the big deal about this that's how that was my approach to you know motorsport in general before i delved a little deeper into this world and boy i was wrong like just like you said there is so many facets to what's happening in a race uh, just how good these drivers are at you know split second decisions that they make and yeah it's just yeah uh, yeah and right now i'm like i'm having that fanboy moment like i realize like holy shit this is what these guys are actually doing so yeah and also and- not to forget all of the politics involved right there's inter team politics and intra team politics like uh, they're like people fighting in the same team people fighting against each other in the same team people in different teams fighting against each other it gets personal too sometimes between the constructors and all of that stuff it's also convoluted in this it's it's almost as if they're in a different world for sure uh, for sure and i think we will touch upon all these facets uh, hopefully during our journey through lewis hamilton's career but yeah, I mean, yeah, this is what basically brought me to Formula One. It's it's a mix of all these. It's it's like a perfect intersection of uh, all of these things that you look forward into a sport. Uh, yeah, with that being said, let's get into Lewis Hamilton, right? So let's get into some of his, uh, some of my early memories and what his early years were like in the world of Formula One. Uh, he debuted in the 2007 season. So how old was he, Aniket, at the time? So he's 36 now in 2021. I think he was 22. Uh, in, in 22, I would say. Yeah, in 2007 in Formula 1. But like you said, I mean, he had a fascinating life even before stepping into yeah. uh, on the paddock in uh, Formula 1, right? Because uh, he started a race. His father apparently got him a remote control RC car. And he, as a five-year-old kid, used to go to championships. And he took on adults, actually. So uh, in beating them in these radio controlled uh, racing cars 
And his father just saw that, okay, this guy, he has some good hand-eye coordination and then got him like a next step was a go-kart. And that's how basically, the, I think those are the formative years of Lewis Hamilton. He started go-karting and, and it's no secret that he was the own, and he till today is the only black racer in Formula One. So it, Isn't that crazy that he's the only bl- uh, black Formula One driver ever in the world of Formula One? It's, it's just insane. It just I don't know. It just blows my mind. I'm like, I sometimes wonder how is that possible? But yeah. hey, here we are. Yeah. In a way, I think that is a testament to not a lack of diversity in Formula One in a way, because I think I'm not wrong in saying that it's a rich man's sport. It, it requires a lot of money to be put in. It's just uh, if you want to get in the general circuit, not just Formula One, but Formula Two, they have all of these, uh, you know, uh, lesser tournaments should i say and to even get into one of those it's it's it is a very very expensive business isn't it absolutely and just to add to that like lewis hamilton's father worked four jobs so he could sustain his not formula one not formula two but go-karting career so he worked four jobs to sustain his son's go-karting career and like we just discussed the he lewis hamilton has been on record talking about how he and his dad were the odd people out on the track because they used to almost inevitably be the only black people on the track. And, you know, he's faced discrimination. He's he's gone through the whole nine yards of his journey on, uh, yeah, along these lines. Yeah, it is, it is kind of insane that he's still the only black driver to ever feature in a Formula One race, leave alone winning it. But just to feature in a race is kind of crazy. He debuted in the 2007 season for Formula One, right? So he his, his debut was with uh, McLaren Mercedes, wasn't it? Uh, was it? Uh, he was paired with Fernando Alonso. I think he didn't he replace. Uh, I'm assuming he replaced either David Coulthard or somebody, but I'm not exactly sure. I'll, it's probably a bad thing to say on a podcast, but I know he was paired up with Fernando Alonso. Was wasn't Fernando Alonso fresh off a championship win before the season before that? Yeah. So Fernando Alonso was a two-time world champion. And yes. here was a debutant who was paired against a two-time world champion. But something more fascinating I wanted to add was how Lewis Hamilton got into McLaren Mercedes, which was McLaren Mercedes back in the day. Because at the age of 10, when he was go-karting, he went to Ron Davis, who was basically the boss, and told that I want to drive for McLaren. And Ron Davis is on record saying, come back to me nine years later. And nine years later, he signed Lewis Hamilton in 1998 for on the young drivers program with McLaren Mercedes and 10 years later Lewis Hamilton won him the world championship so he was paired with Fernando Alonso and he had he took to Formula One like a storm did he 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 his debut race was I'm assuming it was in Australia it was Australian Grand Prix and where he finished on the podium didn't he finish third yeah he did so his story is fascinating because he started fourth on the grid yeah first he was a debutant he was paired against his teammate, who was a two-time world champion, Fernando Alonso, who's actually back on the grid, guys. So, Fernando Alonso is back from retirement and he's racing this year. So, anyone who is interested, you can go and check this him out. This year being uh, 2021. We are in April 2021 right now recording this, by the way. Go ahead. Sorry, Aniket. Sure. Thanks for clarifying that. Yeah. But exactly. So, he was paired against a two-time world champion. And what we will find out is that this was a super confident dude who in his first four races was on the podium four times, which is outstanding. And when we say podium, what we mean is that it's a top three position. So you could, when you're on the podium, you could either be in first, second or third. And a victory is generally referred to as the first place. 
I think it still does not happen, right? Even if somebody debuts uh, today, I think it's hard to imagine anybody debuting and and standing on the podium after the first four races of their uh, career in Formula One. That's just insane to me that he was so good, so quick. That's right. It's rare, right? It's very rare. But so right now, Max Verstappen, he deb- he's the youngest ever Formula One race winner. So I think he was 17 and he won first place on his debut. So I think, yeah, and he's started to be the next big thing. And there's a lot of crazy stuff happening uh, with Red Bull and uh, Max Verstappen and Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton. So that's for another time. But yeah, it is. Pre- these guys are pretty crazy to do that, uh, to what they do. Yeah. Verstappen, by the way, still looks like a 17-year-old. I know he's 23 now, but man, he still looks like 70. He could easily go to high school right now. Yep. Uh, so, in 2007, as, as Aniket said, he finishes on the podium first four races. And even better than that, he to, to just even eclipse that in a sixth race of uh, his career, right? In Montreal, the Canadian Grand Prix is when he finishes on P1. As they say, P1, I'm using some technical jargon here, Aniket, just to make myself smart. But... Uh, he finishes. Uh, he finishes first in Montreal in his only his sixth race of the season. Was wasn't it like more or less a comfortable victory for him? It was as if he was there for a long time. Yeah, I mean, this guy started off as if he was meant to be here. Basically, uh, that's my understanding because he won the Can- Canadian Grand Prix. He was also the youngest ever Formula One driver to lead the World Championship. And let me remind you again that his teammate, who was driving in the same equivalent car was Fernando Alonso, who was like a two-time world champion. So this dude had something about him where he could actually, if not at that year, beat Fernando Alonso, at least match him uh, for race to race. I think officially in that 2007 season, he was second uh, ahead of Alonso. I'm assuming it was because he had more first place or podium finishes than Fernando Alonso. So uh, both, both of them ended with 109 points. Uh, but uh, officially, uh, Lewis Hamilton was second and Fernando Alonso was third. I think 2007 was also the only season where uh, Kimi Raikkonen won the championship overall by one point. I actually, Aniket, I remember quite well going into the last race of the season, last Grand Prix of the season. Back in the day, it, it always used to be Brazilian Grand Prix, right? Now it's always Abu Dhabi and all that flashy lights and stuff. Uh, but back in the day, it was Brazilian Grand Prix when I think they started out on the East Coast in Australia and then moved all the way to Brazil on the uh, on the other side of the globe. Uh, so I remember it was a three-horse race going in. Uh, it was between uh, Kimi, Raikkonen, Lewis Hamilton and Fernando Alonso going in. I quite distinctly remember this because I thought uh, Hamilton would clinch it because uh, he was in a good position going in. Uh, I think he had to finish, uh, depending on how the race panned out, I think he had to finish in a certain place. Uh, Kimi eventually in that race ended up edging uh, Lewis Hamilton by one point in the whole season. So he finished, Kimi Raikkonen finished first in the race. He finished at P1. Uh, I think Lewis Hamilton had to finish sixth or higher. He finished seventh. So that led, that made him, uh, that made his overall standing at 109 points with Kimi being 110. I thought, I did not expect Kimi Raikkonen to win this, the championship that year. I was, I thought it would either be uh, Hamilton or Alonso because Alonso was like the two-time champion and Hamilton was just racing his heart out that season. I thought Kimi went in as a dark horse and lo and behold, he finished first and a lot of chips had to fall in place for him and it, they did. Yeah, because again, I'd, back in the day, I never followed it as rigorously as I did, but I remember reading in the papers, like 
Yeah. I vividly remember uh, reading about Hamilton, especially uh, in his debut season, actually uh, giving a fight up to the last race for a championship. And I read it. I, I, I remember making a note of it in my head, but I never cared about it until I read the headline the year later. So, yeah. Gautam, you want to tell what happened in 2008? 2007, he finishes second and we go to 2008. Uh, again, it's a very, very tight championship race going going as, as the season progressed in 2008. Uh, and at the end of the day, it was it was between him and Felipe Massa. Felipe Massa, if you, uh, for all of our viewers, uh, I think drove for Ferrari. He was Brazilian too. So he, he was, um, that season, uh, it all came down to the last uh, Grand Prix of the season, again in Brazil where uh, all stuff went down uh so again he was he had to kind of finish at a certain place to be ahead of the uh the championship points when it came to the table uh so going into brazil uh all eyes were on lewis hamilton and felipe massa uh now it was one of the craziest races uh felipe massa did what he had to he he finished the race. He finished first, so he was done, and he was done. He did what he had to. It was all now uh, on Hamilton to see what he does, and it was it was such a weird one of those all time great races where it had everything right. It had drama. It had like the weather playing a big role. Um, I remember it was the, the, there was a lot of expectation of rain there. You can actually catch the highlights on YouTube too. You can actually catch the drama really well. There was supposed to be rain. It was overcast. It was gray. There was supposed to be rain uh, falling during the race. It never did. Uh, the McLaren paddock saw the radar and thought that they would get some rain towards the end of the race. So kind of very late in the race, they called Hamilton into a pit stop, changed his tires from dry to wet tires, and put him back in the race. I think there were two or three laps to go at that stage. The, the rain never came until the last lap. So because he was on wet tires and because the track was dry, uh, he was going slower than expected. So he, he made one tactical mistake and he fell to, I believe, seventh, if I'm not wrong. He fell to seventh place. And lo and behold, in the final lap, in the final lap, as the lap started, rain starts falling. Now he's, everybody else on the grid had dry tires. Felipe Massa finished his race. He was good. Everybody else was on dry tires. He had two Toyotas in front of him. So they had no option but to slow it down because otherwise they couldn't really go fast on dry tires in very slick conditions, right? So uh, Hamilton was priced uh, to go through. So in the last corner of the last lap of the last race in that 2008 season, he overtakes both of those Toyotas in front of him to finish fifth, which edges him out and he wins the championship by one point. S second season of his career, first championship, in 2008 yeah and just like you said it it was the last corner of the last lap of the last race of the season so it was beautiful and also if you look at the youtube guys go check out the youtube highlights you can see the contrast of the sporting world where ferrari is actually celebrating because uh, massa wins and you have a hamilton's crew whole crew basically down because he loses the place and in the last corner you can see them jump so and then at the same time the ferrari uh crew comes to know that you know they're not the world champions so we're expecting massa anytime now he comes through to claim his sixth victory of the season he has done everything he needed to do and we wait now to find out who will be the world champion of 2008 can hamilton do anything
Raikkonen's third. And that's, is that Glock? Is that Glock going slowly? It is, that's it's Glock. Glock. Oh my goodness me, Hamilton's back in position again. A million, a hundred thousand local hearts sink in the grandstands. It's handed the place back to Hamilton. He comes through and if I'm absolutely right, I'm sure that he is going to claim fifth place, which is all he needs to do to become yes. the 2008 Formula One world champion, Lewis Hamilton, and you will... Well, the, the Ferrari boys are celebrating, but they, they both think they, they both won, think but they Ferrari, won it, but are wrong. Ferrari are wrong. They're absolutely no, wrong. wrong Hamilton's guys. finished Glock. fifth. You will never see a more dramatic conclusion to any motor race, let alone a Grand Prix it's, than that. Uh, it's one of those uh, epic sporting moments where you have uh, a team that's uh, bliss with joy and the other team that's heartbroken and down. Poor Ferrari, man. I uh, If you look at that uh, clip, you'll see Ferrari actually still celebrating after Hamilton overtook and finished fifth because they did not realize that he, he got one more point. So some other guy from Ferrari comes over and tells him, tells the team that no, it's done. He won by one point, and it just is a total feeling of doom just surrounds the whole Ferrari paddock. It is it is amazing to watch. Yeah, and I also liked how Massa took it. So Massa was a great sportsman and. Yeah, I mean, he lost it in the tight race, so yeah. He lost in a tight race at home too. It probably should have just sucked big time for him. There's like, I think they were talking about 90,000 people in the grandstand shouting for Felipe Massa and then Hamilton was there to ruin the party for him. Yeah, in all fairness, I don't think Massa could have done anything more because he finished the race first and he did everything from his end. So, well, that's the, the stars were aligned a particular way that night yeah, or day, whatever. So he now firmly establishes himself as the one of the best drivers in Formula One, right? Lewis Hamilton, he's probably age, what, 23 right now? Uh, in 2008, when he finishes uh, the winner of the, he finishes first in the championship. But he then he's, he has kind of a lean period beginning from 2009 to 2013 or 2012, in fact, Aniket. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and so let me just uh, give some context. So in 2008, also Alonso leaves the McLaren team. So he's Alonso departs from the team. And 2009 to 2012 are what I'd like to call the Red Bull or the Vettel era. Where or in Red a row, baby. Yeah, four world championships to Red Bull in a row. And it was Sebastian Vettel who was leading them from the front. But again, this tells us about the dynamics of the sport, right? So there's a part of me that feels there is an uh, element of unfairness here just because you're so dependent on the machinery that you actually use in this particular yeah. sport. And maybe it's fair, maybe it's unfair. That's, that's a whole new debate, but it's fascinating because uh, you're not only driving, but you're also competing to build great technology. So I think that's a fascinating aspect of this sport. But you're right. And 2009 to 2012, it's uh, Red Bull and Sebastian Vettel who's basically uh, tearing the uh, tarmac open in all the races they have. So 2009 to 2012, uh, it's total Red Bull monopoly. And then Hamilton is, you know, kind of has a lean season. I think he finishes, I want to say fifth, fourth, fifth and fourth. So he, for his standards, for his lofty standards, Red Bull also was so dominant. I'm assuming McLaren was kind of left behind in the constructors as well. Uh, kind of a linear in these four in these four years, but all of a sudden uh, in 2013 he he announces a surprise move to Mercedes. That's right. Uh, and back in the day, Mercedes were this untested uh, new team that were coming up. Sure, they had Michael Schumacher. So just to give context, uh, Lewis Hamilton went to Mercedes to replace Michael Schumacher. 
But one thing I find super fascinating about this whole Mercedes project was a great legend called Nikki Laura, who was actually at the helm of this uh, Mercedes project because he was an advisor to Mercedes and he played a pivotal role in getting Lewis Hamilton to Mercedes. And yeah, we can, guys, we can do another podcast on the legend <laughs> Nikki Laura is. We will uh, get there some other time. But if anyone's ever interested, just go Google him and there's enough out there to learn about him. But yeah, so basically Nikki Laura had this plan he was the advisor for uh, mercedes petronas amg the team that they are and they basically hired hamilton and they started in 2013 with their uh, new team i would guess with hamilton and his childhood friend nico rosberg so hamilton nico rosberg and hamilton were like carting friends like really good I don't know, for lack of a chatty buddies. Chatty buddies, yeah. I knew you were going there. <laughs> so there were these uh, really uh, yeah, ambitious kids who were now racing for uh, a good team in the paddock. And basically, yeah, that's where they start. And surprisingly, they have a pretty dull, nothing fascinating 2013 season. Because 2013, again, taken by Red Bull. But yeah, but that's where the tides start to change because that's like a inception. And it's a very brave move, actually, for Lewis Hamilton to go into a completely unknown team. Yeah, I wonder why he made that decision. I mean, as you said, rightly said, Nicky Laura had a lot of a lot to do with it. Uh, the one thing that strikes uh, out to me about Mercedes, the Formula One team, is they're in this in the they're in the long game, right? They're not they're not for short term gains or something. They always come across as a team to me at least uh, that has a vision laid out for the next five years where they see themselves the next five years what are we going to do uh, they're always thinking two or three steps ahead even if it's at the cost of you know a small cost here and there they're still willing to pay that price to achieve long-term success isn't it absolutely 100 percent. so i think they're one of the teams who have the bigger picture uh, sorted out very clear like they know what they want to do uh, 10 years later and you know even for that matter they are going on to win their uh, i think sixth world championship now so seventh coming uh, next seventh straight yeah seventh straight back to back so that's no no joke and it's going to be a tough fight this year but we'll see yeah uh, i think the other important thing is obviously both the drivers both hamilton and rosberg bought in to their vision otherwise it wouldn't be possible right because we always see with these other teams people drivers with big egos trying to you know instant gratification instant success is what they are looking for uh but uh both hamilton and rosberg i think bought in even though as you said they had a, a very moderate season in 2013 they came back with a bang in 2014 absolutely i think they basically destroyed any competition they have. I don't have the stats with me, but I think they won everything but like 11 races. Uh, I think, I'm not I'm sure. Hamilton won 11 races in 2014. So he just blows everybody out of the water and wins 11 races in 2014. And I think quite easily wins the title in 2014, right? He had 384 points. I think it was quite a comfortable victory in the end in 2014. This is his second championship title. Yeah, that's right. So 2014 and 2015, he's winning. So 2015, though, Nico Rosberg actually gives him a decent fight. And that's where this element of politics and, uh, you know, rivalry start coming in. Because two guys who were like the best of friends racing for a winning team 
now get insanely competitive because essentially you have the same car. So the thing is, if you're in two different teams, you can always say one guy had the better car. But if you're drivers and all of us have huge egos, not, not that I'm a driver, but humans in general, I like don't. have, yeah, huge egos. So, and you're competing with a person who has the identical setup and you actually want to be the best. Right. So that's where all these, the, the politics you mentioned and uh, the rivalries that come in because this friendship turned sore between Nico Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton really fast and went downhill. Yeah, it went downhill very soon because even though Hamilton won the 2015 uh, World Championship, it was not an easy uh, win for him because Nico Rosberg gave it all that he had. And when I say all, it meant like playing dirty, playing fair, uh, you know, just leave no stone unturned to get any advantage over your teammate that you can, yeah. And Hamilton was known to be this ruthless driver, right? He wouldn't care who was in front of him, who was behind him. All he cared was about winning. He doesn't. He didn't really care how he won it too. Sometimes it. It. I definitely. I think he still has drives with that intensity and attitude that he has to win the race at all costs and then figure out the rest afterwards, right? So in the in this process, I'm pretty sure he lost a lot of friends. And as you rightly pointed out, Nico Rosberg was his childhood friend. Seems like a totally nice guy, but as you said, everybody's you don't get to this level of motorsport racing without an ego. Everybody wants to finish first. Everybody wants to be faster than the other person. Even though you know that you have a lesser car than the other person, you still want to push yourself to the limit, knowing that uh, you're probably better than the other driver, right? So it's it's kind of insane. when all, all of this comes to a head in 2016, right? 2014, 2015, he wins back to back. And then all of this comes to it in 2016. Now he's even in a much more intense battle with Nico Rosberg. And this is where, as you pointed out, there were some questionable tactics by Lewis Hamilton, where I, I believe he was, yeah, he was going against the team order. So this is another aspect uh, in Formula One, right? So the constructors, they have two cars assigned to them. So two, two teammates in, in, in for one constructor. And sometimes before the race or during the race, the team management from the paddock gives drivers instructions as to what needs to happen, you know, in case uh, if there is a one-two finish. Essentially, what they do is they pass the orders on to their drivers in the best interest of the team and not in the best interest of a driver, individual driver, right? So in 2016, uh, Hamilton defies team orders and deliberately slows down Nico Ross. But I think Lewis Hamilton was ahead of him and he deliberately slowed down the packs to and it, and so that uh, the other drivers behind Nico Rosberg could easily overtake him. Kind of a, a failed instruction to, to almost let him go. But you know what, Sebastian Vettel is too far back on this particular occasion. And Lewis is backing them up even more. And Rosberg knows it. So there are a lot of questionable tactics. And as I said, he he's a ruthless uh, campaigner, man. For sure. And, you know, I mean, it was basically one of those things where Neither driver was backing down. So just exactly like you said, like you can have one winning strategy for a team and basically you, it was a team. So apart from the world driver championship, there's also the team championship. So Mercedes, McLaren, Ferrari are fighting to be the best team overall. Constructors you, championship. Constructors championship, exactly. And uh, basically, so what they do is they have different strategies for different drivers. And sometimes one driver is given an unfair advantage over the others. And what they try to do is compensate by asking one driver to give way to the other. And this happened uh, quite a number of times, especially with uh, Lewis Hamilton is where uh, he would be in an advantageous strategy. And when the team gave him orders, especially in 2016, 
he would he just ref, he point blank refused to give uh, Nico Rosberg an unfair position that he had got give it back so well i mean uh, yeah that is what it is i mean i, I guess you got to do what you got to do to win and they actually had uh, in a post match in post race interview they asked him about this and he says uh, i'm driving my race i'm not driving nico's race so i mean he said it uh, in as clear words as you could well in his words he clearly defied team orders too because he he, sure. he was clearly disobeying what the team orders were but it kind of didn't work for him in 2016 because nico rosberg eventually wins uh, the championship in 2016 and then shockingly rosberg retires after 2016 absolutely so the thing is that rosberg till today remains to be the only teammate who's ever beaten lewis hamilton and that took a toll so guys who don't know nico rosberg has his own youtube channel so you can go check it out he does some fascinating stuff about formula 1 and other things but he talks about this about his years with mercedes and he was so driven to beat lewis hamilton that he went to a sports performance psychologist he started meeting people started working on developing a mindset he's apparently started sleeping in separate rooms with his wife so that he could actually win focus and you know stay away took time away from family with the sole purpose of beating lewis hamilton and he basically did it in the year 2016 and that's another crazy uh, drive because you already mentioned this was that the last grand prix was in abu dhabi and nico rosberg just needed to finish on the podium and lewis hamilton was uh, winning the race he was leading the race and when nico rosberg was second lewis hamilton in the final laps just starts slowing down so that everyone behind uh, lewis hamilton i think sebastian vettel was in third place was basically would come and overtake Uh, Nico Rosberg and you could actually hear the team saying like dude what are you doing and he he says sorry but this is my only way to win and he's he says on radio so you can listen to it on uh, the team radio saying guys i'm you know i'm doing this for myself so well that is the sport and uh, i guess uh, you know there are there is no black and white everyone's in shades of gray here so yeah i mean rosberg as you said eventually somehow won it and he he had to give it everything to beat this guy right he had to do as he had to push his body and mind to its absolute limit to win one championship in 2016 and he was so spent he, i think he was so spent that he was done and i think he also wanted to leave on a high that is probably another one which is kind of surprising for a sports guy but like for a sports athlete but it is such a fascinating thing to me that rosberg retired after 2016 it's it's kind of insane it was a shock retirement it's not like he told that he's going to retire uh, at the start of season or something he declared his retirement i think 5 days after he actually won yeah. the world championship and well he say he briefly talks about that being a world champion was his goal and he basically gave everything that he, he had to beat lewis hamilton and i think fairly enough i think he's the only guy like i said to have yeah. even given a fight to lewis hamilton and uh forget winning because most even fernando alonso didn't win against uh, lewis hamilton so i think yeah maybe that drained him out uh yeah. only he and only this, yeah and i think this kind of uh segues i kind of want to say, i wanted to discuss a little bit about his uh lewis hamilton's driving personality right so uh, i think it is a common thread and i think i'm not wrong in saying that he would do anything borderline he tries to cross the line a lot of times uh he tries to push the line quite a lot of times uh he's been fined by the FIA a lot of times there are a lot of penalties issued to him 
like time penalties within the race, time penalties after the race, uh, docking points and stuff like that. There is a common strain throughout his career uh, that he's definitely uh, 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 tactics-wise, sometimes he can go on to the dark side, doesn't he? Well, so I don't disagree with what you said, but I feel any champion is looking for that a little edge that you can find, like that extra 0.1% that the others are not able to give. And I feel Hamilton does that so well. You know, you can question it like, is it, you can question it like saying, is it the right thing to do? Is it, uh, you know, fair? And when it's not fair, he's been penalized, but I think it's his drive. It's the sheer drive to lead. And you can see it. He's a seven-time world champion. So, you know, you could see you could see the effect it took on Nico Rosberg winning one championship. And this guy has been leading, you know, and it's tough to lead. It's always easier to chase because you aspire to get there once. But leading consistently is freaking hard. And he's doing it pretty well. So, uh, yeah, And I, I wonder how much of this comes from the fact that he had to earn his stripes along the way and had to work extra, extra hard than any other driver on the circuit, right? Uh, right from his early days. As you said, his father was making ends meet in every possible way to get him onto a go-kart. So I wonder how much, uh, if, if that had a, lo- a lot of, you know, a big role to play in his life because he had to work that extra hard to get in. Uh, he had to win to prove that he was good, I'm sure, than the other non-black drivers, let me say. Uh, so I think that definitely had a role to play and his attitude was built up um, based on how his initial days were uh, racing. Uh, I would 100% agree with this because he has his interview on uh, one the F1 channel and also with the Wired magazine where he actually talks about right from his childhood, this is pre-F1 days, where they would go meet the McLaren people and they would have weekly meetings to see, make sure they're doing the right things to be there. And he always talks about one thing. He's like doing things so much that when the opportunity aligns, they know you're the right person for it. And he talks about how careful they were when they used to meet people with the fear of, you know, because it was so easy to be thrown out of a contract, uh, especially given the racism that exists and stuff. So they were super cautious about whom they met, how they met, how they behaved. And he, if you notice one common thread to him was till recently, Lewis Hamilton never spoke about anything much apart from racing. You see him speaking now in these past couple of years because uh, he was a McLaren driver. McLaren drivers, I apparently were supposed to, you know, be proper, like short hair, well-clothed and stuff like that. And he just stuck to that line, I think, till a good part of his career. I think now he has a self-confidence to say anything, do anything. And people do listen to him because he's Lewis Hamilton. I can only wonder, uh, had he been white and the same position he was in, he was probably would have spoken up on, if he had to, he could have probably spoken his mind I don't know, after his second championship, maybe he had to wait until winning multiple, uh, at least move four or five championships to actually come out and speak his mind, you know, which kind of tells you that that self-confidence is not built up overnight if you're uh, not a white person in this world. So, which is kind of fascinating to me. That probably drives him. You're right. People can call him dangerous, arrogant, ruthless, selfish, whatever it is. But I think that is the reason behind his drive. And, you know, rightfully sometimes, and if he did something wrong, he was penalized too a lot of times. So 
it is uh, the good comes with the bad you got to take everything with him but it's very interesting though uh so kind of going on so 2016 he uh, he finished a second behind nico rosberg and then i think the complete dominance starts uh, for lewis hamilton and mercedes doesn't it absolutely so after uh, nico rosberg retires his teammate is Valtteri Bottas, who's a Finnish uh, driver. And fortunately, unfortunately, we don't know. The jury is open on that. If he's a good enough driver to ever beat Lewis Hamilton, we'll never know. But he's just not given Hamilton the fight that Rosberg actually uh, gave him and pushed Hamilton to that limit. So, yeah, but uh, that's what it is. And after that, he's had four back-to-back victories with Mercedes after 2016 up to 2020. It's just been Lewis Hamilton who's been the... Yeah, so tell me something, Aniket. In these four years, right, 2016 through 2020 or 2017 through 2020, it's been com- the dominance has been complete, right? It's been there's no. Was there even anybody close to Lewis Hamilton in the circuit uh, at all? So I think in 2018 it was Sebastian Vettel who was okay. uh, with Ferrari up to I think at least three fourths of the season. He gave a fight they were in competition, but then after that, uh, yeah, I think things went downhill. They had a lot of like reliability issues ferrari so and this is awesome so you i love doing this you can go to youtube and listen to the yeah. formula one radios like radio <laughs> communication and it is so cool i love yeah it. you can listen and wettel has this uh failure of engine uh we just spoke about the uh, turbo hybrid era and he says guys please bring the v8s back p0 first and Zampao says, yeah bring back the fucking v12 yeah, so it's just fascinating. They had reliability issues because uh, it's not only the man, but here it's a machine as well. Yeah. So and then yeah, I mean that was the closest fight he had. I think uh, in 2018 was when uh, Sebastian Vettel gave him a fight. Yeah. Apart from Vettel, there's no other uh, driver in the circuit. It's all like who is finishing second, third, because we know that Hamilton is going to finish first. The other thing was, I, it is my theory. I don't know if it's true or not, but I think this is my. This is true because it's my theory, but I wonder what, uh, how important a second fiddle driver or second fiddle teammate is for you to be totally dominant. I say this because I remember when Michael Schumacher was at the peak of his powers, right? He was, he, he was like Hamilton right now. I could not imagine a season where Michael Schumacher was not winning the season or the championship. Then he had Rubens Barrichello with him, another Brazilian. And I remember Rubens Barrichello was like this perfect second fiddle driver, perfect teammate. He would completely like a really good boy. He would be following team orders. It was the hierarchy was very well established. It was known that Schumacher was the first choice. Second choice was always Rubens Barrichello. I even remember one of those Grand Prix. I don't remember which Grand Prix was it, but uh, Barrichello was finishing first and Schumacher was second. And literally at the last lap, just before uh, the checkered flag, I think the team asked him to uh, Rubens Barrichello slow down and send Schumacher over. So he slowed down at the checkered flag. Barrichello slowed down and sent Schumacher in to finish first and Barrichello finished second. So I wonder how important a second fiddle teammate is to actually win a championship or to be really, really great in Formula 1. So actually, this is a fascinating question. And I would say from my, it's an opinion, not fact-based thing. But my answer is it's very important. Because you see this when uh, Mercedes was with Nico Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton. They had so many crashes. They cost teams so many points. Because when you're racing with each other, you're with equal machinery. 
and there is uh, ego on the line, mistakes happen, right? It's the mistakes on the team, it's the mistakes on the driver. And you have like so many times when uh, Toto Wolf, who's the boss of uh, Mercedes, love come that guy. He's so cool. What a man. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, he comes out saying like, you know, you have, I think his 2015, 2016 years were like, yeah, this is unacceptable. <laughs> this is unacceptable. Like we are a team and stuff. So it becomes very challenging. But when you have a clear hierarchy, and you know things are more established smoother for the team so i think as a team you prefer that even though they don't they never have come out and said that valtteri bottas is like the number two driver but i think he's been made to feel that way a few times because i think even in the last year uh, he was asked to give hamilton a place and that's the greatness of hamilton hamilton came out and acknowledged saying that you know he didn't leave it like oh i won the race but he came out saying that you know uh, valtteri was good enough to give me his spot so well it is that way and i think it works out for the team so the teams do it that way yeah i mean valtry bot as you said sometimes seems i just look at him and he's some comes across as such a sad face in formula 1 he's always i mean he's finishing he has really good points he's always up there but man you 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 listen to him talk and stuff like that. he just seems sad to me uh, uh i the uh, i'm sure uh, at some point i'm surprised it doesn't did not come up yet but I would highly, highly, highly urge our listeners to watch Drive to Survive on Netflix. It's such a well-produced season. You know, it, 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 there are three seasons out as of 2021. Such a well-produced documentary of a season. It really captures everything that has to do with Formula One. And he talks, Valtteri Bottas, whenever he talks in this, in this documentary, it's like, oh man, I just kind of feel pity and bad for him. Well, uh, I mean, yeah, your teammates are Lewis Hamilton. So I... <laughs> I don't know what uh, what he can say or do anything different as to what he's doing. I don't know. But I do agree that there are many younger drivers on the paddock like there's Max Verstappen and there's Charles Leclerc who who if they were in the same team as Hamilton they would have given him a run for his money. At least they would have given more of a fight than what Bottas gives, but yeah, that that only time will tell. Yeah, at least in the last 7 years it's the combination of the driver and the yeah. constructor that has made not only Hamilton dominant, but also the Mercedes Petronas dominant. Exactly. And so now we're talking about, we are at the stage, we're talking about Hamilton being the seven-time world champion. He's, you know, basically equal Michael Schumacher's record, beaten every other record that exists in the sport. I would love to talk about his driving style and recommend people to watch a few races. So he's this, Hamilton is this insane guy who who's in sync with his car. He understands his car very well. So, yeah, you tell me what do you think about his driving style and then we'll talk about uh, so, it. In- so, I think in these cases, it's you stand out as a good driver when the car is not really cooperating with you. Uh, and then you actually go out and by the sheer brilliance of your driving, you you kind of win the race, right? So, I remember, was it the, uh, the, the, the Monaco Grand Prix, Aniket? Uh, what year was it? It was 2019. 2019, right? Where he had to drive so defensively at the same time. This is, if for, for listeners who don't know what Monaco Grand Prix is, it's kind of fascinating. It's in Monaco. It, the race happens in Monaco, in the streets of Monaco. It's like super narrow. H- hardly any overtaking takes place. Whenever overtaking takes place, it's a big event. So your uh, position in qualifying kind of determines where you'd eventually end up except for uh, an accident or a crash somewhere. So go ahead. I'll let you uh, talk about the 2019 race in Monaco that Hamilton drove on a kid. 
Right. So, Gautam, you very nicely mentioned this about Monaco having narrow streets because these are so narrow <laughs> that nothing more than a car can actually fit. A car plus a person would maybe be too much to actually yeah. fit in. And these guys are like ripping at like 300 miles per hour in tracks like that. So, essentially, coming back to the point, what happens is uh, Lewis Hamilton is on the lead. He starts on pole. And behind him is Max Verstappen. The race is going on. And basically his team, Hamilton's team, put him on hard tires with 67 laps in the race to go. And just for context, the hard tires, are ideally, they're hard because they last really long duration. So the technical lifespan is 50 laps. And Hamilton drove this uh, 50 lap tires for 67 laps. And behind him, tailing him was Max Verstappen. I think Max Verstappen tailed him for a good 15, 20 laps with a fresh pair of tires. And this basically tells you about Hamilton's driving. Like he manages tires very well, which is absolutely important in Formula One, how well you manage your tires, because that talks about how well you brake and other stuff. So, and he, guys, I can't, I can't do justice to this. So (laughs) please go watch that. Uh, race it is all over youtube uh just watch that figure but it out but the way he drives on those saving those trying to save those tires while at the same time not trying uh trying not to you know go f- so fast that he breaks these tires but also not going so slow that somebody worst happen overtakes him from behind it is just unbelievable how he you know it's you know you have to watch your speed but also not Ha- not go so slow that you'll be overtaken. So it's quite a fascinating uh, Grand Prix. Uh, any other uh, call-outs you have about his driving ability? So I just wanted to add to this. So this happened uh, following the death of Niki Lauda. So this particular Grand Prix, and it's such a fantastic tribute to Niki Lauda. And that's basically what he does at the end of the race. He basically uh, gives this victory to Niki Lauda. So this is one. And then 2020, uh, guys, go check out the Styrian Grand Prix where he essentially almost got his medal, uh, the final world championship uh, in that race. And oh my God, what a drive. No, just, I was just looking through his records. Most career wins at 96 right now. Most world championships tied with Schumacher at 7. Uh, most pole positions at 98. 98 pole positions. Uh, insane. Most points in a debut season. Most points in a season, 413. Most podium finishes at 166 until 2020, I think. It's crazy. But go ahead, you're asking me a question. Yeah, so I was like, yeah, this is basically his life. But I was also fascinated about his life outside Formula One because yeah. he's done uh, he's done a lot of stuff. Uh, I think, yeah, one thing I kind of wanted to touch, at least because it's recency bias, I guess, but last year in 2020, when the whole Black Lives Matter movement happened, uh, I was surprisingly and refreshingly uh, happy that he came out and spoke about it very passionately, didn't he? Oh, yeah. And I think he challenged his uh, colleagues in Formula One to talk about it as well. So he went ahead. uh, I think he took the knee as well uh, for a couple of races. He wore a T-shirt saying there is the cops who kill Brianna Taylor. And he was very uh, vocal about his colleagues actually not standing up because they were in position of power. So he did bring a change in the F1 circuit by itself because people at that point started like, okay, F1s are letting drivers talk about this. Because F1 previously under Bernie Eccleston was like this really closed circuit where drivers didn't voice their opinion and stuff. So things changed and he was very passionate about it. So he also set up the Hamilton Commission 
which is basically this commission that's now uh, it's new, but they're basically doing research into trying to add diversity in Formula One. Like we said, it's super surprising that he is the only black driver up to 2021. It's I don't know how that happens. Only black driver ever. Exactly. And even in the paddock, if you see the staff of uh, different teams, you do not see a lot of diversity. So it is definitely, a, I think he's asking the right questions with what he's doing and stuff. So he's pushing in the right direction. They also had that added that black color to the to the Mercedes car as a tribute to the movement too, I think. That's right. That's true. And then he's done. So basically this, and then he's also spoken a lot about two things. I want to talk about mental health because he's Lewis Hamilton. We assume he's, you know, this uh, prim, proper, always winning uh, guy, but he's spoken a lot about mental health and how Formula One has made him and broken him. So that's very interesting because he's come out in the past year during the COVID lockdown where he came out, spoke about loneliness and how it's okay to actually reach out to people for help because it's never too, uh, you know, late or too bad. It's never too poor to take uh, assistance from someone. And I think that 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 topic is pretty close to my heart. So I just really like uh, Hamilton talking about mental health and life in the bubble as we spoke about. I know he was very outspoken about it too. Yes, exactly. Uh, The other thing also, I know he did a lot for the, the kids, uh, I think it is a lunch lunch scheme, right? For the school kids. I know he's very active in that front as well. Uh, my man, Marcus Rashford is doing the same thing. I think they're, they're really doing a really, really good job of uh, starting a movement or making everybody aware of the, the, the kids' lunch program and whatnot. But here's my big question, though. I know we spoke about... Uh, I know, oh, sorry, were you saying something else? No, go ahead. So having said all of this, his, he's now very active actively vocal and actually does things outside of the sport as well uh and combine that with ob- with his obvious driving achievements and whatnot is he the best driver ever ankit is he the best formula one driver ever uh that's a tough question <laughs> gotham if you ask me i have personal favorites uh yeah. i have immense respect for lewis hamilton i can't go on for how much but my favorite would be Ayrton senna like i love the man way too much but given what he has done i would say yes he's he's up there i don't know if he's the greatest ever but he's definitely up there with uh, who i don't know who else would hold that stature with him but he's definitely up there and maybe even better than them i can't he, the records don't lie yeah i mean i i have no opinion either way on uh, lewis hamilton but i think he's going to go down as the best ever because he's well on his way to win his eighth title i think he's signed for one more year with uh, mercedes if i'm not wrong in 2021-22, right? So that's right. Uh, he's probably going to end up with I don't know what his end goal or anything like that as far as championships go, but I think he's the best driver, no doubt about it. Best driver ever to you know steer a Formula One car. I know you spoke about Ayrton Senna and he's he's just he's just awesome, but he has three. He has three championships. Uh, Hamilton has already had seven, and now <laughs> on top of it, he's going to win some more. And, you know, like, look look at all of the drivers he has left behind. Alan Prost, Sebastian Vettel, Nicky Lauda, Jackie Stewart, Nelson Piquet, Senna, Raikkonen, Hakkinen, all of these guys. So I don't think there's anybody close to him that's going to, I don't know, at least in the foreseeable future. Not unless another generation comes along. And, yeah, and I think it's going to be tougher because the new regulations, uh, I don't think will allow 
any team to dominate like Mercedes did. Like Mercedes had absolute domination from 2014 onwards. No other team has come and won the constructors championship. So I think the new regulations will not even allow that. So maybe yeah. he will go down to be the one of the biggest legends. Yeah. You have to be a right person at the right time. It all comes together, but you also have to prove yourself to be that person too. So definitely in my as I said, my favorite is Mika Hakin and he has two. So come on, it's it's not even close. Uh he's going to go down as the best driver ever un- until unless somebody else comes in the next decade or so. All right, Anika, did you have anything else to share about Lewis Hamilton? And I think, as I said, he's going to go down as the best driver ever. So if you want any closing comments, please feel free. The closing comments is essentially that uh, he's, I think, pretty sorted. He thinks about the future. He speaks about how if he's sitting at home and comes to a race and if he's like exhausted working on other projects and comes to the race, he actually seems to be sharper when he comes after work. So he keeps himself busy, which is interesting. Uh, if people are more interested, they can dig into this uh, aspect of his life. But yeah, yeah, nothing more to add apart from that. And like most other drivers, he's shifted his base from uh, England to Monaco, like every other driver. What a life these guys have in a way. But uh, this was fun, Aniket. I, I did not know how this would go, especially because Formula One is kind of foreign to me right now. I used to follow it quite a bit back in the day. I'm slowly getting back into following it now. So uh, it's 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 tremendous. It's so many things change over a period of time with technology and all of that. It's kind of fascinating how these things work. Absolutely, Gautam. Any recommendations before we finally part? Like, do you want to uh, enrich our subscribers' lives? Oh, couple of things. Well, one thing mostly is uh, the watch uh, Drive to Survive on Netflix. It's the best sports documentary that's going around. It's very current. It captures the drama. Ten episodes, fifty minutes odd each. It's a quick watch. Uh, definitely recommend that. And we, I know we briefly spoke. I probably will continue to recommend these multiple times, but watch the Ayrton Senna, Senna documentary. It's called Senna, S-E-N-N-A. It should be available in one of those streaming websites. So please check that out. I would recommend two movies. One is Ford versus Ferrari. Yeah, I'm, I'm just sticking to the theme of motorsports right now just by choice so go guys go watch Ford versus Ferrari it, it's a pretty uh, good movie it's about the Le Mans race and how Ford took on Ferrari which was like a legacy car maker and there's also Rush which is basically about uh, James Hunt and Nicky Lauda so we spoke about Nicky Lauda I think you learned a lot about him by watching that movie so these are my two recommendations for this week yeah that is a good movie highly recommend that uh, that is it from us. Uh, thanks for listening to us. Thanks for taking your time out and listening to us. As Aniket said, please write to us at contactandnewstory.com. Until next time, thank you, Aniket. Yeah, stay safe and take care. All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes, and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs, and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to our YouTube channel.